is Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. So my name is Kent. We're wrapping up our Jonah series today, and I'm delighted you're here or watching online with this. If you want to read along, uh, I'd invite you to open your Bible to Jonah 4, the fourth chapter, Jonah 4. And I do advise that if you've got a, uh, your phone or your Bible with you to follow along, and then you can keep following along throughout the sermon. Jonah 4. Uh, before we read this together, though, I will offer this prayer for you. The Lord be with you. Okay, now I'm going to jump up to the last verse of chapter 3 to get us uh, oriented. So Jonah 3.10 says, When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be so angry? Jonah, meanwhile, had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, and he sat in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen to Nineveh. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah said. I am so angry. I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. We started this series four weeks ago with the idea that fear usually causes two responses, either fight or flight. And we learned right away that Jonah is a fleer. He ran away from God. So Jonah is a runner, and I can relate because I am a runner. And I have a picture here to show my favorite run, which is the Bix. The last several years, I have run this race with my good friend Steve, and I tell everybody who will listen to me that the Bix is the, the most fun you can have running a road race, because there's like 20,000 runners, and there's a massive, enthusiastic crowd, there's live music, there's people wearing costumes, people along the race route are passing out 
mimosas and Bud Lights and there's like water slides and it's just a lot of fun to run this race. But it is seven miles long. And most of you can tell by looking at me that I am not built to run as my friend Steve is built with the nice long legs. I am built to waddle along. And um, <laughs> when you get to mile five or six, it stops being fun, just to be honest. And this past year happened to be the second hottest race on record. It, the temperature heated up so quick it was like unreal. People were like dropping in the streets. They were like, you know, they have ambulance people there. They're like putting IVs in people right on the sidewalk. They're not even taking them away. And, uh, you know, I got about halfway through the race and I started to think, if I do not walk, I'm going to be one of these people who end up in the street. Now, does this look like fun? getting carted away. There were people who were taken to the hospital after this race because they were so dehydrated. I was worried about Steve because he looked like he was going to go down. Um, uh, not so much fun. If you run a long time, especially in the heat, it is hard on you and it's a hard thing to do. Now maybe some of you haven't run the Bex or can't relate to a road race, but I think all of us can relate to the idea of running because we're all running uh, the, the race of life, right? And sometimes we run that race at a fairly hectic pace. So we're constantly going, going, going. And then if you turn the heat up, it gets even more exhausting to run this race of life, doesn't it? And we've had the heat turned up the last few years. So we had to run through pandemic time. We've had to run through lots of grief, losing people that we love. Maybe you've had to run through times of sickness. Um, difficulties in your career, difficulties with your job, finding the right job or losing a job. Maybe you've had to run your race through a difficult relationship, a relationship that's broken, falling apart. Um, we've run uh, this race through a world that seems like it's constantly getting crazier and crazier. And what we've learned running this race of life is this, that if we have to run a long time, and especially with the heat cranked up, we might be in danger of collapse, right? That's what happens when you run too long in a lot of heat. Which is what led me to wonder if that by the time we got to Jonah chapter 4, if Jonah wouldn't be like tired of running. Because the story starts with him going on the run. God comes to Jonah and he says to him, Hey, I want you to go to Tarshish, or I want you to go to Nineveh and, and preach to these wicked people. And instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah runs in the opposite direction. He runs and he, he runs down to the ship and he gets in the ship and he's, he's going to run away from God. It says right in the chapter 1, Jonah tried to run from God. Um, so God tries to slow him down and he does this by sending this massive storm which takes the ship and tosses the ship about and they have to figure out how did we get here. Well, we got here because Jonah's running away. And so the sailors conclude the only way to stop this is to throw Jonah overboard. So Jonah gets thrown overboard the famous part of the story, he gets swallowed by the big fish and he's inside the fish for three days and it looks like Jonah's going to slow down. He stopped running at least because, you know, it's hard to run in a whale. And he cries out in prayer to God saying, God, he, he almost says, I'm sorry. He's sorry that he's, he got swallowed. He's sorry he's in this deep, dark place. And it looks like he's going to come to his senses. So, um, so God relents. He gives Jonah a second chance. And so Jonah gets spit, spit out, vomited out on the beach by the whale, and he goes to Nineveh and he preaches to the people and, and they listen. They respond to it. Um, 
and they repent and God doesn't destroy them. And this makes Jonah very angry, which tells me Jonah's still running from God. He still hasn't clicked in with him. What God said he would do to them, he did not do. That's how the scripture says it. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. His, his emotions are very intense in this last chapter because he's probably already on the brink of collapse. And he says it's very wrong. He's very angry. He's mad at God. And it feels like the whole story was building up to this kind of moment where um, God relents and doesn't destroy the city. And then this great verse about, well, Jonah says, I, I knew God, you were that kind of God who was going to do that. I said this right from the very beginning, that you're the God who has compassion and mercy, that you relent from doing the evil that you're going to do. Jonah says, I knew you were the kind of God who was going to forgive him. That's why I didn't want to come here in the first place. So we see by Jonah's attitude, he's still running. He's not tired of running yet, which is an, is an amazing thing to me. Um, now, we all listening to this story, I think part of what makes it compelling is we get how, how wrong Jonah is in this moment, don't we? Because we know that God should not be treated like this. God should be feared. God should be respected. There should be an awe so that when God says to do something, you do it, right? That's what the proper response to God is. And all of us instinctively know that that's the case and we recognize Jonah is not doing that. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong that God should be so forgiving and it made Jonah very angry. Jonah is still running in the heat. I recently heard the story of a guy named Clint Hill, uh, who is pictured here on the back of the car. This is the, um, in Dallas the day President Kennedy was assassinated. He was the Secret Service agent that was right behind Kennedy's car. And he jumped up on the car to try to save uh, the president and his wife. And we just, Mary and I just recently listened to a great book called Five Presidents, written by this Clint Hill. He served Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, and Ford. So very interesting time in our history. He was a Secret Service man. So you know his role throughout these presidencies was to keep the presidents alive. And the Secret Service are so dedicated to this, they commit to saying, if it comes down to a choice between the president or me, I'm going to put myself in harm's way. I'll sacrifice my life in order to save the president. This is what the Secret Service does. It's very... Uh, a very amazing role that they take on. And in the story, Clint Hill tells all these different times the president asked the Secret Service to do really ridiculous things. Like they'll be, you know, providing this protection and he'll say, go get me something to drink. Or he'll send him out to get lunch for everybody or run an errand. Uh, oftentimes the presidents were told, stay in your car and stay seated. That's the way we can keep you safe. And the president would say, no, I want the roof off. I want to stand up so the crowd can see me. Sometimes some of the presidents would say, I'm going to go out into the crowd and meet people, even though the Secret Service has said explicitly, don't go into the crowd, it's not safe for you. And so Clinton Hill was telling about all these ridiculous requests that all these five presidents made on, this, on the behalf of the Secret Service. And one thing that was interesting to me was this. Clinton said the Secret Service response, no matter what the president asked, was what? Yes, yes sir, we'll do what you, we'll do what you say. No matter how crazy the request, they would do what the president says because when the person who's the most powerful person in the world asks you to do something, you do it. They knew their role. That was their role. We were reading the story about Jonah know that if God asked you to do something, what do you do? You do it. No questions asked. This is what fear of the Lord is. 
It's a kind of awe, a kind of respect, a kind of reverence, a kind of obedience that comes when we recognize who God is and who we are. Jonah knew who God was. Jonah had witnessed God working in many different ways. He'd experienced it firsthand, God doing miraculous things, sending the storm, calming the storm, sending the whale, vomiting him out of the whale, um, sending him to Nineveh, saving Nineveh. He knew the kind of God that God was, and he knew what he should have done. And what he should have done was, whatever God asks, that's what you do. But Jonah didn't do it. Why? He's running. He's running away. He doesn't want to do what God says. And he keeps running, and he runs so long that I start to wonder, when is that guy going to collapse from this? Because it's an exhausting thing to keep running away. If Jonah had any fear of the Lord, he would have stopped running. But Jonah refuses. At first, in this chapter, he refuses to even answer God. When God says, hey, why are you so angry? And Jonah doesn't even answer him. He goes out and he pouts. Jonah isn't the only character in the Bible that runs from God. There's a lot of them. One of them that came to my mind this week was King David. Some of you know his story. He was a powerful man, and one day he's sitting on the roof of his palace and he sees the neighbor's wife out bathing, and he lusts after her and calls her in and commits adultery. And then after that, he tries to perpetrate this big cover-up by bringing the husband home and lying about every a whole bunch of things that are going on there. And the cover-up doesn't work, so then he sends the husband back and has him killed. So here's King David. He's uh, an adulterer, a liar, a, a murderer. I mean, he's, he's trying to hide his sin from everybody, including God. He's on the run from God. And I'm starting to wonder if, if at some point David didn't think he got away w- with it. Um, the husband's dead, and he makes Bathsheba his wife, and... But he's, he's running, and it must have been exhausting for him to perpetuate this lie, this cover-up, to hide from God in this. And then one day, the prophet Nathan comes to the palace, and Nathan tells him this story. He says, you know, David, there's this guy who's immensely wealthy. He's got all of the, this huge, huge flock, and this man looks over at his poor neighbor who has one little lamb, and he's, he loves this lamb so much, he brings the lamb into his own house. That's how much he loves this lamb. And this, this wealthy guy goes and he takes that poor man's lamb, and he takes him home, and as Nathan's telling him this story, David is just getting furious about it, and he finally says, something has to be done about that man. And then you all know what Nathan said, right? You're the man. And immediately, King David comes to his senses, He stops running from God and he acknowledges that, yes, in fact, he was that man. He comes clean. And I'm imagining how great a relief it it is to stop running, to finally stop running, especially after the heat has been turned up for a long time. I mean, I knew if I kept running in that race last um, last July, whenever, I knew I would be down in the street. So to finally walk was a huge relief. This is what David does. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. That's what he prays. This is a man who recognizes who God is and who he is. He has a proper fear of the Lord. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge me. Can you hear his fear of the Lord in this prayer? He knows who God is and what God can do. Do you hear his relief in this prayer? He knows that he's the God who will have compassion, who will forgive him. Cleanse me with hyssop, he prays, and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. This guy has been exhausted by running. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant in me a willing spirit. David stops running from God. And it's a huge relief. Jonah never stops running. Jonah doesn't get it. And the story ends hanging because we're not sure if Jonah ever came clean. But the Lord said to Jonah in the end, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. You're so worried about this plant. And God says, should I not have concern for this great city? 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand. They don't know what's right and wrong. God says, shouldn't I have compassion on them? Shouldn't they know forgiveness as well? End of story. We don't know if Jonah ever saw the light, if he ever got it, if he ever came clean. Which reminded me immediately of another story in the Bible, the parable that's found in, in Luke 15. It's a parable we usually call the prodigal son. Now, I usually think that this story was named prodigal son because I thought prodigal meant lost. That was my kid's understanding of this word. But prodigal doesn't actually mean lost. It means recklessly extravagant. So it still fits with this son because what he did was he came to his father and he said to him, hey, give me my inheritance. And the father gave him his inheritance and the next day he packed up everything and he went to a far off country. And there we're told that he, he spent his wealth in riotous living. So he was recklessly extravagant. He took everything that he had and he just partied it away. And then he ran out of money. That's how reckless he was. He had nothing left. And then a, a great famine came. And he was hungry. And so this little Jewish kid in a far-off, strange country has to get a job feeding pigs, which would have been like the biggest insult. But then it gets worse. He's so hungry that he's looking at what the pigs are eating and the pig food looks good. He's thinking about eating pig slop. That's what he's thinking about. But then the Bible says, he came to his senses. Isn't that a great idea? He's, he recognized something about himself and he recognized something about his father. And he said, I would be better off going back to my father because there I would get taken care of. Even if I was a servant, I would be taken care of. And so he gets up and he goes home. And then my favorite verse in the whole Bible, 
Luke 15, 20, which says, While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You know, the whole time he's been gone, recklessly, extravagantly blowing his inheritance, feeding the pigs, the whole time he's been gone, his father's been looking for him. He's been waiting for him. I, I imagine this uh, every day, getting up and looking down the road. Is he coming home today? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion. And he ran to him and he wrapped his arms around him and he kissed him and he put a ring on his finger and a robe on his back and he said, the, my son who was lost has been found. Let's party. And he calls the neighbors and they go together and they have a party. And then we're told about the other son, the older brother, who was off doing his duty while this is happening. And he comes home and he hears the noise in the house and he recognizes something's going on. And he asks somebody, what's happened? And they go, oh, your younger brother, he's, he's back. And your father threw a party, killed the fatted calf, called the neighbors, they're having a party. And you know what? The older brother was angry. Oh, who does he sound like? He's angry that his father had compassion on his brother. And he calls the father out onto the porch and he says to them, why are you doing this for him? And the story ends. We don't know what happened to the older brother. We don't know if he's still out there on the porch waiting. He doesn't get how great God's love was. He didn't experience it for himself and he didn't recognize that his younger brother was experiencing God's love. Three questions to think about. First, do you know how much God loves you? Well, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God gave his son so that we might have life, so that we could be forgiven. That's the kind of God he is. I knew you were the kind of God who was going to be compassionate and gracious and slow to anger. I knew. Do you know that? Have you come to the point in your life where you know that God sent his son for you? That he loves you? Second, do you know how much God loves our city? In the same way God loved Nineveh, he loves Cedar Rapids and Marion and Hiawatha and Swisher and Adkins, even Blairstown. That God loves our city. He loves the people in our city. He loves our neighbors. He loves our family members, our co-workers, our classmates. He loves them. He wants to lavish his grace on them. He's waiting to lavish his love and grace on them. Is there somebody in your life that needs to know how much God loves them? And the third question is, you know, what's holding us back from loving our city better? From sharing this love with everybody that we meet? You know, is there something that's keeping us running from God, that's keeping us from bringing this message to our neighbors that God loves them? Maybe you can think about those, those questions. Um, Phillips Craig and Dean wrote a classic song about this parable um, years ago. And the song is called When God Ran. And the chorus, I really like this one phrase from the chorus. It says, The only time I ever saw God run was when he ran to me. That's how much God loves us. 
So my takeaway from Jonah is quit running. Quit trying to run away from God because you can't get there because he's running toward you. Mary and I went to a soccer game a couple weeks ago in Swisher and it was little, little kids, four, five, six-year-old kids. So you all know what soccer like that is like for that age, right? They're just all chasing the ball around and it's really cute. And um, there's a little girl on their team who was somehow got positioned between the goal and the ball and then the, this little kid kicked the ball pretty hard and hit this little girl right in the stomach. And she immediately crumpled onto the field crying and then right away got up. And what's the next thing she did after she got up? She ran to her dad. And what was the dad already doing? He was running to her. Don't try to run away from God because you can't get away. In fact, he's chasing you down. That's how much God loves us. That's how much God loves our city. Dear Lord God, I want to give you thanks because you are a good, good Father. You love us with an incredible love, a reckless, extravagant love. Thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word and scripture and the reminders we get all over the place of this great love. Pray that you'll help us to live in that love, to sink in that love, to melt into that love, to run toward that love. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who is right now hovering over this place to touch anyone who needs some encouragement, who needs some comfort, who needs a reminder of who you are and who they are. God, we thank you. Thank you for the good work that you're starting here right now. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, visit www.cedarhillscr.org.